Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I was being judged before we hit record, just so you know. That's okay. probably true of a lot of people, but yeah, yeah. We, the recording is a judgment-free zone. The pre-recording is a judgment-full zone. <laughs> it's the anti-planet fitness. Also joined by the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I'm just so relieved that someone else besides me has technical problems that hold the show up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we're we're doing the remote recording, so that means there's four t- uh, there's uh, four times the number of machines that have to work at the same time. <laughs> That's it's right. I've been doing the remote super. recording for 450 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, I am excited to share with you something that I think you'll all be happy for me. It's clearly the next phase uh, in my career. Um, you know, I, I received a, a very important text this week. Uh, that's, but would you say it rises to the level of an emergency? I mean, we've got to get to the wisdom here, Jed. Glenn, I would not only say it rises to the level of an emergency, I, in fact, in this moment would declare an wow. emergency. my goodness. Declaration. It's yeah. Emergency. It's it's that level of import, and it's important mm. because you know, uh, you know, I, I may be moving on to bigger and better things because oh, I'm apparently on options. the verge. Well, you know, I'm on the verge of being a very famous writer. Now, oh. you might be thinking, Jed, you wow. don't write anything, and you'd be correct about that. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's not going to stop. Me. It's a pretty big verge. <laughs> <laughs> so. I received, um, uh, I mean, technically, yes, it is an unsolicited promotional text message that came to my phone. Mm. And the haters might call that spam. I call it opportunity. I say spam is delicious. Exactly. (laughs) I call it a spamatunity. So let me Uh, How did they send you the, is it like in in the mail? I mean, how does the spam get to you well you, you have to send a spamogram and all of these questions which are pertinent will be covered in my new book which oh. is which is coming soon because oh. said spam message here i'm going to read it to you verbatim um mm-hmm. which is a big writery word that writers <laughs> like me use okay oh, wow it it reads brewer comma comma and you know they're letting me know what's up because the second comma that's like that's for flavor. Very uh, writerly. Brewer, comma, comma, your novel could be started by professionals. And then there's a link for me to click. <laughs> and so clearly what they get is I'm an idea man. I can't yeah. be troubled with all of the, the day-in, day-out pedestrian concerns of actually writing a novel. That's for <laughs> chumps. What I do is I come in with like a big, you know, like a theme. You know, like boy wizard learns to be wizard. Go. And then I hand it off to them. And they they do the grunt work. Okay. They oh. they you know, they I'm the guy who brings the magic. They just kind of turn the knobs until it's something. All Character right. Character development, yada Exa- yada. Yeah, you know, pacing, plot, all of that. I, you know, I mean, I don't have time for that. I, I'm too busy, you know, having options discussions with Spielberg. So the thing is, I'm, you know, I'm probably on my way both up and out because, you know, I'm going to be the next Dean Koontz, I assume. <laughs> so, yeah. It's good and, and not to aim for Patterson. Don't, don't fly too close to the sun. <laughs> Settle on a nice Koontz. 
<laughs> I'm trying to keep it reasonable and realistic. But I figure before I'm you know off on my literary adventures, maybe there's a way for us to take this idea of the unsolicited promotional message to ghostwrite books for people and maybe use that as a naked cash grab within the Christian world. And so I now present it to you, gentlemen. My question is, where did Jed get an ascot and a brandy snifter out of nowhere? <laughs> well, the snifter was in the ascot. It looks like he just took a regular windbreaker and sewed leather patches crudely onto the elbows. That's 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 an odd choice. Seems oh, like I'm this sorry. Was, it was I improvised was so, very quickly. I was so busy reading this Dickens first edition, I didn't <laughs> see you there. How can I help you? Wow. It's supposed to be leather patches on a tweed jacket, Jed, not the other way around. <laughs> Dang it, I knew I forgot something. perfectly good jackets. <laughs> My question is, is I'm the one who brings the magic going to be the title of Jed's boy wizard novel? <laughs> <laughs> Very well done, sir. Bring the magic. Well, Jed, it sounds like you're, you're saying that the Christian world could use, the Christian publishing world specifically, could use an influx of the idea of other people writing a book that a guy puts his name on at the end. And I have a fee. I have the inform you that that's a bit of a crowded marketplace. What, whatever do you mean, Matthew? Uh, yeah. You know, the guy, you're like, how does that guy write five books a year? There's, well, a, there's he's a way. Just very diligent. At, find a factual error and then find out who they blame. turns out that research team writes a lot of things in this book that i the author didn't know was in there what i like about this idea is i like the idea of jed responding to the spam text and seeing if he can kind of like out energy them (laughs) and just say you know like something totally bonkers like you know uh uh, pastor loses congregation, decides to go searching for, uh, uh, you know, mole men outreach to really yeah. double down on a deeper base. Yeah, yeah. And just see how they respond to something like that. I, I love this. Start responding to their spam text with just your ideas for the beginning of novels <laughs> <laughs> and refuse to stop sending them to them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's my question, and it's a pretty um, deep existential uh, psychedelic question that I have, which is how did they know that Jed was going to be a famous, like he had the potential to be this amazing author, and then contacted him so that they, you know, they would be in on the ground floor of this thing. Well, you know, man, I mean, sometimes, you know, talent just kind of, it just shines, you know, I mean, you they just, just, they just the way you carry yourself. Exactly right. You, you, you kind of, you get in the brewer orbit and you're just like, man, that guy's going places, literary right. places. at and gave re- him a hot tip that Jed was a, a budding young literary star. I Pass just want to read this guy's along. book. That's what, <laughs> that's what it's all about, man. <laughs> Yeah. But but again, let's let's go back to the cash grab. How oh, yeah. can we bring this around to making us money? So kind of Ooh. we for a percentage, obviously, just give someone the idea for the book that would sell a lot of Christian copies. 
And yeah. they go in and you know fill in the words and whatnot. This is what I'm saying. Mm. Well, I think my idea would be to to go to them and you know go to your 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 basic church pastor and say, "Hey, look, we've got uh, the audio recordings of your sermons and stuff. We can just take that and sort of extrapolate that and and you know kind of turn it into a uh, you know coherent prose, and we'll just." Type that on up, and then you can kind of proofread that, and then we'll publish it, and you'll make a zillion dollars. I, I think most of them would sign up for that. Right, right. Uh, but then you just uh, add in a lot of, like, uh, science fiction elements. Okay. Uh, add in, you know, some uh, just uh, a tone poems and <laughs> uh, experimental uh, poetry phrasings. And just uh, random words, and and then you hand it back to them, just for your own amusement. Sure, just see if they notice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think you know a lot of the money is in the series, right? Right. Be it yeah. The novel with the eight parts, or you know, you got like the book series of you know, Christian guy breaks us down. Um, I think we can go with from the make from the author of Be Afraid, Be Ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's Are You Ashamed good. Enough? A 12-week workbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then then you got all the, you know, kind of the the co-branding stuff goes with it. Are you know the the Ashamed Enough journal? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. the the Ashamed Enough bookmark, you know, I mean, you, the 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 merchandising opportunities are endless, gentlemen. I also think you could just draw any kind of you know, flimsy scriptural connections to all the crap that Christians just already like. Okay. Just fried chicken sandwiches, yoga mats, mm, yeah. you know, uh, you know, uh, lattes, whatever. And then you just, just draw some kind of gossamer thread to this thing with scripture and then just turn that into a book and just make somebody else write it. And I think that's going to be an automatic cash grab right there. So you're yeah. pitching what what uh, scientists, for reasons we don't understand, kind of one of those things lost to time, might call the Ramsey method of, <laughs> you know that thing you do that you think makes you a good person? Jesus does too. He thinks that makes you a good That's person. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jesus approves of your investments. You know, I, I this is all good. I, I fear that um, we, uh, we we may be so. You know, in you gentlemen, of course, something that us writers know is that mm. there's there's nonfiction, okay, oh. all right, and there's and there's fiction. Now, fiction, you guys might know, is is stuff we made up. Is right? Jed smoking a pipe? <laughs> yes, but that's neither here nor there. So. But the nonfiction is stuff that actually happened, and and I'm afraid that as we're as we're talking about nakedly baptizing um, the uh, impulses of people in Christian culture and putting that in book form and charging them for it, I think that may be veering too close to the nonfiction realm. In that oh. it is, you know, definitely something that goes on all the time. So it's, it's no problem. I'm just I'm just saying it's it's a different literary category. Sure, sure. Well, I think we make people pay for both. Well, yeah. So, you know, the f- fiction and nonfiction packages are very different. Right, right. 
why don't we tell the story of someone who just, you know, they just randomly met the Lord because somebody had the just the perfect thing to say at the right time, and then they became the most popular speaker ever, and then everybody just gave their life to Jesus because of this, and just let this be the novel. It's the story that all they all want to hear anyway, yeah. Jed, so you just, you just pitch the beautiful, magical story where somebody meets Jesus, and then nothing bad ever happens to them again, and they become super famous, excessively wise, ideally lined out, and the end. The Sin Whisperer. <laughs> Very nice. So what we're talking about here is the pastoral equivalent of a romance novel. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes! It's all Bad. about Dude, that's it. You nailed it. That's who it. hears the sermon. It's the Christian, it's the Christian right. rom-com. With the that's adorable right. best friend that never gets the, it never gets the ministry. Sits in, this, sits in the pew, hears the sermon, and then goes out and lives a perfect life. And every time they have a decision, they think back, what's that thing that pastor worded so very cleverly? Right. That had a big impact on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somehow there's a stable boy and a stallion and, a, you know, there's, there's moors. And... Glenn only reads fiction set in 18th century northern England. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's limited, That's... but he's, ch- he's made a choice and he's living with it. That's if it doesn't stuff. have Carrie Elwes in it, he's not watching it. That's right. <laughs> now, this is the question we can end on. This is I'll throw this open to you, gentlemen. I throw it open to the audience. Feel free if you think with, of one throughout the rest of the show, write it down. What is the pastor romance equivalent of the term bodice ripper? Because <laughs> mm. it's, you know, we got we to gotta brand this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Again, sit I mean, with it. Uh, if I, you think have, the South, if you have... I think the South gave it to us with Bible Thumper. Yeah, yeah that's I pretty good. That's, that's quite good. That's, pretty that's good. quite good. I, I ha- along those lines, I think I have the, the right title for the book that we write for the pastor based on his sermons that we then sabotage. Okay. Right. Uh, we would hand him that a book for him to proofread, and the title on the cover that we hand him would say, Fifty Shades of Self-Shaming. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's, so, there's you know. certainly that. Because it kind of fits, you know. Could we write a, uh, a, a book about, uh, give the, the pitch for a, a middle-aged white Christian dude who somebody explains to him, hey, that thing you're doing is actually not what you should be doing. And he goes... I hadn't considered that. Maybe I'll change the way I approach something. Or is that beyond any literary mind currently working? That's, that's well, you're talking about fantasy. Yeah, that's true. A, a, fan, <laughs> a fantasy world. So we just write that book, and then at the end we go, oh, and also there was a dragon. Uh, so, I, I know for a fact pastors' wives would buy every copy. So 50 <laughs> shames... Of jars of clay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now <laughs> the, we're getting the rare, the rarely pulled in. off double pun. Oh, that's that's very good. That's very very good. 
Well, before we give away all of our trade secrets and all of our our future bestsellers, now that, you know, the the wheels are turning, um, I think we're ready to both launch our collective literary careers, perhaps even our publishing house, and to declare a very literary emergency off. (laughs) Indeed. And again, feel free to keep thinking throughout the episode. Those in the audience, feel free to Hit us up and search if you have an idea. I'm going. Here's my initial salvo for Christian equivalent of bodice ripper, sweater donner. There oh, you go. very good. Something very you know, good. We're getting there. Something along the lines like of like that. things really start to get steamy, and he puts on another sweater. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just wasn't that fired up about hearing this. The, the We were all flagging in the 47th minute of this pastor's sermon when he was still talking about the sport he likes before he'd gotten to the point. But then he put on a cardigan over his V-neck. And we were all yeah. enlivened. Yes, these are the kind of ideas that we uh, come up with on the show. And then the things we actually write are more along the lines of encouraging songs, sermons, Bible studies, whatnot. We put those in Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. comes out the first of every month, only $8 that goes to support our Deacons program here in Chicago. Goes to support some of the great work Lee's doing down there in Tennessee. missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Also, you can head over to our Facebook page and find the link. We gave away our summer mixtape. July nice. edition of Bridgebox. So head on over to facebook.com slash the Bridge Chicago and find the link to that for totally free songs and a little bonus audio content for you. Entirely free if you've been wanting to check out Bridgebox. A great time to do it. While you're over on the Facebook page, you can also set a little reminder for 7.30 p.m. Tuesdays, Chicago time, where we'll be doing yes, our Bridge Live Cast And if you can't catch it at that time, you can, of course, catch up on the video whenever you want. And Leah actually found out that he was sharing with us earlier that you can also leave a comment. Uh, kind of you can do that during the live video. You can also do that after the fact. We will see that and it will actually drop in at the time. So time if, travel you know, commenting. If you want to, if you want to yes. you know, leave a nice comment, maybe there's someone on live stream. You want to let them know that they should really step it up. That works, too. It'll <laughs> drop in at the appropriate time and the message. Well, of course, be clear over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. Matt's sign holding is not on the par with Tasha's air hugs. That's my comment of the week. You'll get I, no argument from me. I agree. Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I get some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description. Click one of the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says... I know prayer is important, but how do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I know if my prayers are the kind of prayers God wants to hear? An excellent question, a very, a very obviously broad topic. Mm. I really like the way this person brought this out. And Lee, where would we kick that off? This is the kind of question that we just really are fired up to talk about. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the kind of thing where you know you're in the right conversation with the right kind of folks. Um, Glenn often says that the people that listen to this podcast are the coolest people in the world. Yep. And when we get to answer stuff like this, this is when we know that's exactly right. Because yep. um, we get to talk about just kind of the thing that whenever we get a space to to deal with something that people would be somehow 
otherwise in other Christian circles embarrassed to ask or embarrassed to talk about, that's when we know we're we're hitting, you know, where the rubber meets the road. So this is an awesome question. Let me start here and let me ask this question. Let's look at the the backside of this, which is what would hold you back potentially from praying? Let's ask that question. In order to look at how do I know I'm praying right, let's talk about what would stop you from praying. Like, in other words, let's say uh, you commit a big old fat sin and you meant to. You wanted to, you felt tempted to, and then you went off and did that thing. Would that moment right there, would that make you pause in praying? Would that create some distance between you talking to the Lord? If, If the answer on that is, well, no. Uh, God knows exactly everything that I'm going to do before I do it, and so why do, why wouldn't I talk to him after a big old fat sin? Then I would say, ding, 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 you win all the thing, all the prizes. You've got it. You're good. Don't don't think about it again. Don't worry about it. If on the other hand, if I feel like, well, if I mess up now, I'm now I need to dial back my prayers. Well, now we've got something to deal with. Now we've got something to work on. When I look at what would hold me back from praying, then I start to understand the kind of the way I see my relationship dynamics with God. Um, if I have a bad attitude, can I pray? Um, if your answer on that is, well, of course, then you got no problems with understanding how prayer works. If I got a terrible attitude and then I would say like, I probably shouldn't approach the Lord in prayer if I've got a bad attitude. Um, well, now we're looking at something that we might need to work on. The fact is, there's probably no bad way to pray outside of trying to impress the Lord. If I if I have a, a day where I fall to temptation and backslide, if I have a day where I've got a crummy attitude and have been a jerk and, and feel like a jerk or I want to go off on the Lord because I'm confused or I'm not understanding something, if my instinct is, I'm still going to go right into His face with all of that. If I've sinned, if I've if I'm upset, whatever that is, then what I would say is you perfectly understand all the dynamics of prayer. God doesn't need to be impressed. He's not impressed with our uh, fancy words. He's not impressed with us trying to prove that we understand how high and mighty and holy and all that kind of stuff he is. If if there's nothing that would hold me back from just having a conversation with him, then we've got prayer figured out. Another another real quick thing that I would mention is um, as far as just kind of like the idea of praying in the right way, I would suggest something that to me feels like the exact opposite of the way that I was raised in church, which is this. I would encourage you this week, in your prayer times with the Lord, pray about smaller stuff. Now that sounds weird, but pray about smaller stuff. I... I always had this feeling when I was growing up of like, if I'm going to pray to the Lord, it needs to be something big and important that I'm bringing into his corner. I mean, he's God. So I I probably can't pray to him about the fact that so-and-so in my life is annoying to me right now, or I feel really exhausted and I don't have a lot of motivation for my work, or I lost my keys and I can't find them. Like, but what if I took all of that small stuff to the Lord all the time. What I'm, what I'm driving at here is the idea that like, I just have a constant flow of conversation with Jesus. 
Like I'm talking to him about everything. I'm talking to him about people that piss me off. I'm talking to him about things in myself that I'm frustrated with. I'm talking about things in my day that I don't want to do. I'm talking about things that were really cool that I'm thankful about. I'm talking about something that I misplaced. Um, to go ahead and aim at praying to the Lord about smaller and smaller stuff. I don't have to wait to approach God when I've got some big, huge, global thing to think about or pray about. I can talk to Jesus about literally anything I want to, and I can keep a constant dialogue with him all the time. So those are the two things I would start with is what's holding me back from prayer? Is sin or bad attitude holding me back from prayer? If it's not, I've got this thing nailed. I, I, I know exactly what's going on with this. If it is, then I need to realize that God knows everything about my heart, and he just wants me to talk to him about it anyway. And then I would aim smaller, just have a constant flow of conversation with the Lord about everything that I'm dealing with. And that's where I'd start. It's a really, really solid place to start. I love everything Lisa in there. And Jed, one of the things I really like about what he's giving us there is there is a strategy. There is something we are doing to get better is about the best word you can come up for it at praying. Cause I think the two unhelpful extremes that can come up here are you know, here's a cute little acronym, and it's got to be bing, bang, boom. It's got to be this way. And that's not very helpful, and it's not true. But then I think sometimes people can overcorrect on that, and you say, well, I, what do I do with prayer? I say, it's just like a conversation, man. Like, yeah, but there are good conversations and bad conversations, so how do I have a good one? I think that's worth looking at, right? I totally agree, man. I totally agree. I... Everything Lee said is awesome, and I want to encourage you to, to hit pause and rewind and listen to all that again. The thing that I would want to add in is to engage a bit of creativity and and do a thought experiment. Think back to one of the last conversations that, that stands out with you and a close, trusted friend that was really satisfying, where at the end of that conversation, you felt encouraged, you felt refreshed, you felt heard, you felt validated, you know, it was really that, man, that was just a great conversation. And I want you to think about what was it about that conversation that made that happen? What was it about that conversation that led to you feeling heard and validated and encouraged and loved and cared for? And the good news is there aren't really any wrong answers on that. Um, what you probably find is there, there are quite a few layers, but if you, if you think about it for a second, um, I think you'll probably have a few things that, that spring to mind. Just to guess, this wouldn't necessarily be the first thing for everybody, but I think it's for a lot of people is, you know, I had this great conversation with my buddy and the thing that really jumps to mind that made that the way it was is I don't ever feel like I have to be fake around this person. Like I can, I can always just keep it real, good or bad of what, what I'm on and, and how I'm doing. Okay, cool. So let's, let's say that that's what we come up with. Then the next question is how can we begin to incorporate a little bit more of that into the conversations that we have with God? If the thing that made the conversation with your buddy so good and so satisfying, if at least one of the things was there was no fakeness, what would it look like to bring more of that into your prayer life? We're not going to jump from 
zero, you know, from total fakeness in our prayer life to zero fakeness. But but how do we get a little bit closer? And how do we do that, I think, in a way that works for you? Like if we if we said we want to, you know, the the lack of fakeness is what makes your your human conversations really satisfying when they're satisfying. There's not one right way then to turn around and implement that in your prayer life. So what's the creative way that we can begin to grow in that? What's the the creative way that we can um um begin to to live more deeply into that. I, I want to encourage you with all that with one more thing that, that may be the most scandalous thing of all, which is to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're at a yes. point where you're able to be creative and have fun with it, man, that's when you're really getting after it. That's when the good stuff is really, really flowing. And one more thing, God is desperately honored by your desire to not only commune with him, but to do so in a way that is effective and honoring to him. Um, I, I think God is absolutely beyond words honored by that desire. And if he's that honored by that desire, surely he's willing to be patient while you figure out what that looks like for you. Amen. Yeah. Mm. So if God's prepared to be patient with you, then, and I'm 100% convinced that he is, then that gives you the space to be creative and to have that fun and to figure out what works for you. What are the ingredients that make your human interactions really good when they're really good and really satisfying when they're really satisfying? And then how in creative little bit by little bit ways do we bring those ingredients over into your prayer life? That is all fantastic stuff. A lot of good stuff from these first you guys. And Glenn, what will we close this out with? Well, yeah, I, you know, I sympathize with the, with the heart behind this question. You know, you, the prayer is something you want to get right. You want to do good at it. You want to get the high score. You want to get the good grade, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with that attitude at all, but we start having problems trying to implement that right away. You know, here, here's one big problem. Okay. I don't know about you people listening to this, but I'm a big fat sinner. And so, I can't fool God into thinking otherwise. So right. how am I going to pray extra fancy and overcome that somehow? I can't my prayers can't be any holier than the rest of me because that's, you know, I can I can fake that, but that's sort of insinuating to God that I can trick him into thinking I'm better than what I really am, which is an insult. So that's, you know, that's not getting in the right direction. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we get this idea that, um, well, you know, I need to put my best foot forward with God, but uh, again, um, there's no such thing. You know, if you honor God, if you respect God, if you really want to be devoted to him, he knows that. Uh, you can't. You don't need to specify that to him so he is aware of it. So that's that can't be what prayer is about. Uh, as Jed is saying here, and, and rightfully so, it's it's about honest prayer, and it's important to recognize God can handle your honest prayers. Uh, he's not going to be freaked out or overwhelmed because he's not going to be surprised. He saw it all coming. Uh, he loves you exactly the way you are right now. 
He doesn't need you to change a single thing for him to love you more. If Amen. you change stuff, he won't love you more. He loves you to the max right now. <laughs> right That's on. it. So here's the thing we do need to understand about, about prayer that, it, that, that will free this up. So uh, Sigmund Freud uh, uh, popularized the term talking cure, uh, and he didn't invent it, but that he popularized it. But the idea behind that is... If you if you're in a sort of a, a therapeutic situation where you're talking to a counselor, very often as you describe the problem out loud, and maybe the a counselor will ask you a few key questions to get you to really explore it better. Suddenly, you'll see what's wrong with it for yourself because just laying it out and and expressing it out loud and having to you know, give justification for these feelings. And, you know, you start to see where you're rationalizing things and you see it for yourself. Well, prayer can do that uh, work in much the Mm. same way, that we go to the Lord and we say, I want this thing, I want this thing. And the more you go and ask for the same thing over and over again, eventually you start trying to explain why you want this thing. And then you find out, you know, I just, I would like it. I would like to have it. I would be happy if I had this. Now, I know you could give me joy right now, but I'd rather have this relationship instead, and then that person could make me happy, and then I wouldn't need you, and that sounds bad. Um, also, I don't want to do any work and I want them to just fall madly in love with me and do all the work. That also sounds bad. Okay. Maybe I have the wrong take on this, but here's the funny thing about that is you're making all these discoveries, which are very good and very helpful and, uh, will allow you to progress in your prayer life very, very well. But what you're getting to is all the wrong stuff and all the stuff that's, you know, messed up about you. And so you're thinking, I'm doing a bad job at praying because I'm asking for a lot of stuff that I immediately realize is not quite it as I begin to examine it. But that's the that's where it's getting good. That's where it's when it's doing what it's supposed to do. Right. It's exposing this uh, stuff where we're, we're we're finally really questioning what it is that we want. And and you're the one making the choice to see that there this isn't the best thing for me. And you know, as I hear myself say it out loud, this isn't quite what I ought to be asking for. And what that allows us to do is to set those desires or fears or worries or frustrations, take those and set those aside and say, okay, Lord, what do you want? What do you think? What is, what's your word on this? And that's when we can really finally hear him. So we we need to get out of that shame mentality. We have to get out of the desire to do it well. If we do it honestly, that's as well as we can do it. That will show us lots of stuff that's wrong with us. But that's when we make that pivot. We turn and say, I want to change my thing and change my ways, go about this differently. Then we can really be listening to the Lord. And that's, if you want to do prayer right, it's about letting the Lord have time in your prayer life to speak to you in that still small voice. That is all fantastic stuff from all these guys. We're move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, a lot of Christian stuff online holds up the idea of hustling and being motivated on your grind, etc. I get that motivation is good, but does God necessarily want me 
to hustle. And again, another very cool question about a, a very pervasive phenomenon. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, because I'm the famous writer type now, I'd like mm. to very eloquently say, kind of? <laughs> Jed, that's not what the, like, that's not like the best of times. It was the worst of times. The point isn't like, we couldn't tell what kind of time it was. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, I mean, the answer is kind of, but let's dig into that. Um, diligence is a good thing. Hard work is is a, a good thing. Making the most of every opportunity is a good thing. Um, these are good things. They are they and they are biblical things. You can you can find Bible verses, Old Testament and New that, that support all of those. Um, the question that really super matters is: Do we know what their proper proportion in our lives is? Mm. Because that's the thing that's really, really important. Another thing that is that the Bible makes perfectly clear, that in fact Jesus makes perfectly clear, is nothing is good taken in extremes. Nothing is good or useful or valuable when we um, do it to the exclusion of everything else in life, right? Um, uh, Paul says in 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 a passage that modern American Christians don't think about very often, Paul talks about, if I have all uh, wisdom and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I give away everything I own, and I am martyred, and I'm, and I'm the most amazing person in the world, but there's no love, it's completely worthless, right? Um, Jesus criticized people who took prayer to extremes, you know, I mean, the, the idea that you could, it goes actually along with our, our last question, the idea that you could take prayer to such a weird place that it would kind of no longer be a good thing, I think that that sounds a little jarring to a lot of us, but it, it really serves to underscore the idea that there's nothing in life that you can just keep pushing forever and it stays a good and valuable thing. Things are are only good in their proper proportion. They're only godly in their proper proportion. Um, the Bible says elsewhere that, that a godly person avoids extremes. Mm. So I, you wonder, is, does God want you to hustle? Um, yeah, in a sense, God wants you to be faithful with the opportunities that he's given you. Um, God wants you to be diligent in using the gifts that he's given you. Um, God wants you to be... Um, uh, faithful in in the stewardship of all kinds of resources and opportunities and skills and abilities that he's given you that that is true but all of that is also meant to be a part of a balanced life so god wants you to work hard yes that is true god also wants you to regularly rest um we we may note that taking a sabbath is something god is pretty high on um uh, God wants you to care about others and to and to love them in ways that are at times sacrificial. Jesus also often withdrew to lonely places to be alone and commune with God. Um, you know, uh, the the Bible, it, it is true, and it's really talking about a very specific situation, but it is true. The Bible says if a man does not work, he shall not eat. Jesus also spent a lot of time at parties just hanging out with people. So 
we need balance in our lives. There, there are times and places and situations where being really hardworking and diligent and focused is a very good thing, but that is not meant to be our all-the-time thing. And it's important for us to be clear on that because a lot of the culture that sprung up around um, being hyper-motivated and being on your grind and hustling is really a – in using positivity to enshrine doing nothing but working 24 hours a day. Mm. And that's not healthy. And that's not what we want to see you do. That's absolutely right. And it's a great place to start off. And really uh, in some corners of the South that's online, it's even more specific. There's some uh, a pretty well-known author who does much conferences and stuff, who is uh, just intricately involved in the uh, multi-level marketing world. And, Mm. hustling has a very specific meaning um you know in our work with inner city folks we there's a lot of you know the glorifying being your own boss and being on your grind and that's that's good but you know what else is good if you don't have a job is a job yes they pay you a wage that you can go spend on goods and services that's very helpful as well so glenn i wonder if one of the things we're not we're running into here is some definitional stuff because as, Mm -hmm. as jed points out there's some aspects to things like being motivated, hustling, whatever, that are probably good and mm-hmm. uh, righteous if applied in a certain way. But then there's a lot of other cultural stuff bound up with that as well. How do we go about pulling that apart? Well, I think you're right. I mean, uh, when I see and hear a lot of motivational stuff, it seems vague to me in a way that makes me think, the people trying to motivate me don't really know what they're talking about. You know, it's just, uh, you know, you you, you got to take it to the limit, man. Yeah, you know, in, in what way? You well, have to manifest like, your yes, Glenn. That's right. Yeah. It's like that, you know, if I make up what that means, I think I'm doing all the work. I don't need you for that. So, you know, uh, I, so I think that kind of applies across the board. Uh, but I agree with Jed. Uh, being passionate about what you want to do with your life is great, and I think God wants that for you. Being driven and highly motivated, being diligent within that, I think that's good. That's really good stuff. Uh, you can get lost in that. You can use work like other people use a drug, and you can overdo it, and you can use it to avoid things going on in your life. I'm getting close to the nerve on some people listening to this. Um, but uh, this is about recognizing, as Jed was saying, there needs to be balance within that. But there also needs to be an awareness of where your identity sits in that. So, for example... Um, this this podcast that you're listening to now uh, in the, the ministry that we do exists because people financially support the work that we do, people just like yourself. Well, if I turn that into give me money for me to be cool so I could have me uh, a helicopter or something— that would be promoting myself and building myself up. This would be an ego trip. That's what this would be all about, of self-promotion. Well, The problem is there are a lot of people who are listening to this that need to um, promote what they are doing, what they are about. If, if you start a business, you've got to promote that. You have to tell people about it. If you want to you know, be a musician, you need to, the, most of your life will be self-promotion or poverty, gripping, tor- terrible, horrible poverty. So 
uh, it's important to recognize where your identity is in that and where does it sit. That is to say, I think you would love this song. I think it would really bless you. I, I think the service uh, or goods that I provide you will really bless you in your life. That's promoting the product or the service. It's not promoting you. Uh, so being able to be draw those lines and be on the right side of that will give you a lot more comfort, and it will also give you the balance that Jed was talking about. Final thought on this, uh, I think the the real problem I see with people who have sort of the entrepreneurial spirit, they've got a bold, I get a, I mean, I am the guy for whatever reason that people call when they say, we've got this brilliant idea. It's going to solve all the world's problems. We're going to, this is going to be the ministry breakthrough of all time. And they'll, they'll, they'll present that to me. And, and I say, well, you know, sure. There's, there's some good ideas here. We've got some good building blocks, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, this one element of this is going to take you out if you don't figure this out or you don't adjust this. You know, I'm talking about minor tweaks to the the grand vision. And you sort of get this cold, you know, like a cold breeze blows through the room of like, he's just, he's killing a perfect idea. <laughs> and you realize, okay, this, is, uh, there's a problem here because everything you want to hustle out, everything you want to grind out, everything you want to accomplish will require changes and adjustments. And if you want to do anything in a godly way, that's about letting God comment on that, tweak it, adjust it, shift it, letting him tell you when it's time to have a day off, letting him tell you uh, when you're getting into sort of a shady area ethically and whatever it is you're doing, all those kinds of things. If you get so focused on your grind that you aren't looking at what God wants you to do in these situations, and if he can't shift you out of the way, you're in a bad place regardless. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want you to to have that thing where you're holding on to these dreams loosely and letting God uh, lead you to a a, a better way of getting all this stuff done. Nice. It's a really, really great point. And Leah, let me just close that, looking at that. I think there's another balance idea that we've been talking about earlier. And in this one, it is that kind of idea of hard work is on that list of things you can, you can overdo and misuse. I think a lot of us were raised in cultures where the idea of just hard work for hard work's sake was right. And more hard is more good. And again, there's just enough Bible verses you can kind of look at with one eye closed and see that reflected, but it's not a full picture, right? Yeah. I mean, mean, this is, that's a really good way to set this up, Matt, because, you know, Jed was pointing out, you know, vo- verses about how the Lord would go, to, you know, away to lonely places. He he had called his disciples to to quietness, to retreat. Um, he, you know, but at the same time, other people would stand at the other end of the stage and say, yeah, but the book of Colossians says, do everything as if you are doing it for the Lord, you know, and like they they would, they would have Bible verses for all of these things. I would love to pull this conversation just for a moment out of the idea of spirituality or of, or of ministry and just talk about what it takes to get in shape. Um, recently, um, I've had this really curious little wrinkle in, in our, in our kind of weekly routine, which is that I've, I've been um, jogging with my 11-year-old son. Uh, people that have been listening to the podcast for a long time, yes, our third born is now 11 years old. 
<laughs> and uh, and we've been going out and and uh, jogging, you know, at this little river walk in in Oak Ridge. And you know, the first our first goal was we're just going to run a mile. That's going to be the first thing. And and the dude. Uh, you know, whenever we would go on like family walks and stuff like that, he would walk f- with us for a little while and then he would burst into a sprint and sprint way ahead of us. And then he would sit down and he would just sit down until we had like long passed him. And then we would look back behind us, dude, are you coming? And then he would sprint to catch <laughs> up and sprint past us for a while. And he would sit down again. He hated family walks more than anything. So the goal was, we're just going to jog one mile. So, you know, I set my watch with the GPS for half a mile from, you know, at this place. And then, and then we're going to turn at that point and go back and everything. And the, the dude is doing well. We're just kind of jogging really, really slowly. And then we get back to the ending place and he decides I'm taking off and he just starts sprinting, you know? And I was like, just let the guy go and figure it out. And I kind of just kind of jogged behind him and eventually caught up to him at the end. And I mean, all the blood was out of his face and I could tell that he was dizzy and he was about to throw up and, uh, you know, and, and I got him some water and calmed down and all that kind of stuff. The next time we went running, we went a little bit farther and he did the thing again at the end where he decided to sprint really hard. I'm just going to, because sprinting is the thing that tells me that I have exercised, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and it was the same deal again where he was dizzy and he was about to throw up and everything. And I just said, like, hey, I, I want to do this real gently because I don't want to I don't want to make you feel ashamed about what you're doing or anything. But if you'll just run really slowly with me, and we do this a lot of times over a long period of time, you're gonna increase your distance and you're gonna get in shape. And your heart's gonna get better at pumping blood to your legs and your lungs and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and you're just going to get in shape, but it's going to take a long time. And you, but what you can't do is you can't do that thing where you burst into a sprint at the end. That's how runners quit running. And he was like, so what, I got to just run super slow the whole stupid time. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's kind of marathon thinking. It's not 40 yard dash thinking. It's funny because the scriptures do call a walk with Jesus a race, but it's a marathon kind of race. It's the kind of race where you set a pace, you figure out what works, what pace works for you to be able to finish this race, to be able to sustain it, and then you just keep that pace. You don't burst in, you don't have to burst into a sprint to prove anything. Because if you do that, you won't actually get into shape and you won't actually meet your goal. You'll wind up on the side of the road puking your guts out. What's really cool is Jack, uh, my this is my 11-year-old son, at a certain point, he just decided for whatever reason to believe me on that. And so he stopped doing the thing where he sprints at the end. And we're now at like a 5K. Like the guy is now running mm. a 5K at 11 years old. And we just jog the whole thing. And we talk about uh, about the books he's reading, uh, about the comic books he's into, about uh, the new thing he's figured out on Fortnite. And we just talk the whole time. And now he's in shape enough to where he can jog and talk at the same time. And what's really, really cool is over these months – as he submitted to the idea that I can both get in shape and exercise and work hard, 
but go at a slower, sustainable pace, then all of those pieces fitting together, you have the hard work, you have the growing in strength, but you don't have these bursts of of sprinting that wear you out and take you out of the game. And I think the spiritual life is much like that, where this is a marathon. This is something that we need to figure out the pace so that we can sustain it over the course of our entire life. That doesn't mean it's not hard work. That doesn't mean that it doesn't take some endurance and it doesn't mean we're not going to have to push ourselves sometimes, but it does mean that I want to figure out the pace that allows me to sustain and to grow at the same time. And so that's going to involve the things that Jeb was talking about. That's going to involve rest. It's going to involve going slower, but it's going to also involve keeping going. And that's the thing that you learn with endurance training is I go slower. I still am working hard, but I'm growing and I keep going. And that's the kind of thing that we want to figure out, the kind of balance that we want to figure out for our spiritual life. I think that's a really great point. Um, a lot of these guys, the, all these guys are giving you a lot of great stuff on this. Um, one thing I will, I will attack on the end here is there's, there's a thing that happens with a lot of Christian stuff and a lot of Christian stuff online gets kind of flattened into this of, yes, a certain base level of motivation is great. And some people naturally are a little more motivated, enthusiastic, whatever, you know, there's some people who are just, uh, more prone to getting up at 6am and going for a run. And that's just comes easier to them, which is cool, but that's not a virtue. That's not necessarily discipline. That's and none of that spiritual in a sense. Now, if that's something that God individually wants you to work on getting up and applying yourself to a task, that certainly might be that point in life. But I think there's a lot of shortcut thinking out there of here is a good thing and to do it as hard as possible would be godly, and we really can do uh, our some negative stuff to ourselves when we don't examine those things. A lot of what these guys have given you starts with the basic question of, you got to hustle or be on your ground or whatever. Why? Sometimes there's a compelling reason to why. Sometimes there's not, and that can be a pretty easy dividing line. Okay, we'll move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, In Luke 19, 11 to 26, Jesus tells, a story about a boss who takes money from a servant who handled it poorly and gives it to another one who had already made the most money. What is that all about? And what is that all about indeed? Glenn, where would we start this off? Well, uh, it's a good question. Uh, it's, it's certainly, as, as I think you're, you're guessing here, not about wise investment strategies. and <laughs> uh, it, it kind of almost sounds like that when it's talking about a master giving a servant resources and then, uh, you know, them multiplying those resources and, and making the most out of them. Uh, but it's, it, is, it is not literally about uh, it, it making wise investments in the stock market. Um, uh, you're looking at, uh, Luke, uh, nine, or yeah, Luke 19, uh, there's a parallel, the, the same story is in Matthew 25, and it might be good to read both versions of that, because I think they both fill in details, uh, for the other to kind of round the story out a little better. Uh, but the idea is, uh, the master gives his servant resources, and uh, he praises those who made the most of those resources and gave them more resources to do things with. 
the if you want me to boil that down as hard as it can be boiled down, uh, I would boil it down to this: that he he's making your day of judgment uh, clear as to what will be evaluated, and it will be what did you do with what I gave you. Mm. And the, the, the interesting thing about that is we don't often judge ourselves that way. We, we, we say, I ought to be able to do something amazing with almost no resources over here. Uh, and uh, in this other place, I have resources, but I don't even consider that I need to do something particularly awesome with them and I'm giving myself excuses as to why I'm not and so on and so forth. So I think it's trying to bring us back to what did you do with what I gave you? Uh, So I think a big part of that is you taking time to to say, what has God given me? Mm. Uh, It's easy to just think of that in terms of finances, and finances is a real part of that. But Look at what God has given you in terms of talent and ability, a heart. that He's given you compassion for certain types of people in ter- certain situations, and that's a gift, that, that ability to see things from other people's viewpoint. Uh, he's, he's given you f- physical resources. He's given you all kinds of things. Uh, what did you do with those things that you were given? Uh, so that's not about looking and saying, oh, it's never enough because I always could do more with what I'm given. I think that's the wrong way to take that. Um, as as Jed quoted on the last question, Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of every opportunity. And that gets us into a different kind of thinking. That's saying this is about efficiency. That's about saying I don't need to do something amazing with this money that I have. It's about saying, how much could I get done with this? If I have $10 sitting in front of me, I need to ask, how far could $10 go? How mm. how amazing could it get? Uh, so that's, in, in an odd way, that's about thinking about efficiency. Uh, it's about saying, how much impact can I have for the relatively limited resources that I have. It's not about looking and saying, well, I don't have much, so I could probably get away with not doing much. Uh, If you look at our operation, for example, the lengths to which we stretch a dollar bill (laughs) is psychedelic. I mean, it it is beyond imagination. That's about thinking efficiently, and it's also about thinking creatively. Uh, It's about saying, uh, you're thinking outside the box, and how can we get a huge impact uh, out of something that's a a relatively small thing, almost like I'm a kid and I have a sack lunch and I give that to Jesus and he feeds 5,000 people with it. You know, that's uh, recognizing that God can do amazing things with these limited resources you have and thinking big and thinking creative, thinking outside the box. That's what we want for you, and I think that's what this verse is trying to tell you. All excellent, excellent stuff there. And Lee, let's look at the, the kind of the function of what's going on here there, as there are in all Jesus' parables, that there's characters, there's things that are representing things, and how do we look at that? Yeah, I always have this—it's uh, just kind of a, a thing that I take my brain through every time I'm reading a parable, which is the first place I go is, what is the cast of characters? Jesus is telling a story. If the story were written like a play— 
or like a movie, um, and you were to read the credits, who are the cast of characters? We can get tripped up very easy, easily by taking these things ex- extremely literally. So uh, Jesus is talking about money. But what if money is a placeholder or a character in, in this play that he's telling? Um, and so we, when we look at money, we don't think as much about, you know, when I look at it, I'm thinking, what character is, is being played by the word money in Jesus's story? Well, I would think in, in kind of the way that, that Glenn was talking about money in this, in this story could be resources. It could be talents. It could be time, all that kind of stuff. Really, this is just as Glenn was saying, this is a story about the fact that Jesus is saying everybody has um, something that they've been given, whether that's time or resources or talents or whatever. And the question is, are you going to invest some of that back into serving, into the kingdom of God, into reaching out, into giving away? And what happens in the story, when you read the whole thing out, the person that didn't, that didn't invest any of it, that, that buried it into the ground, that took the resources that were given to them and didn't do anything with it, was a person who said, to God, I know what kind of person you are. You use people and you don't give a return on investment. Everything's about you. And I didn't want to invest anything in you because uh, you're that kind of person. So what I did was I hid it so that I wouldn't lose any of it. And that is a very telling thing. And I think that we all know people and we all have probably had moments where we've felt tempted to be the kind of people as well who have said, I think I know what would give me life and fulfillment. And I don't know if Jesus's way is going to do that. His way has a lot of risk, and it has a lot of giving away, and it has a lot of vulnerability, and it has a lot of opening up your home and giving away your time. I mean, the number of times let, – let's just use Glenn as an example. The Over the past, uh, I'd say, 18 years that I've known Glenn, the number of times that I've been in his house, and there are the most random people inside that house – Eating the pizza that somebody paid for, I'm like, I never, I never met this per. Every time I'm in Glenn's house, there's another person I've never met, and they're eating pizza. Um, and anybody that knows this brother can attest to this because his attitude is, this house was given to me, and the point of it is to be used in the kingdom of God. I'll, I'll open myself up. I'll be vulnerable. Everybody can come over. Everybody can eat the pizza because the point of my life is to be used. Well, other people might say, I don't want to open up my home. I don't want to risk that kind of vulnerability. I don't want to open up my resources and give my time and stuff like that because I think that God is the kind of dude who uses people like batteries for his own thing and doesn't give anything back to him. Well, what you have is you have a person who says, I'm not willing to risk the resources, the time, the talents, and the the money or the anything that I've been given because I think Jesus is a certain kind of dude. He's the kind of dude who uses people like batteries and doesn't give them anything back. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to hold all my stuff. I'm going to hoard all my stuff for myself, and I'm going to create my own life. And I'm going to create my own happiness and my own joy and my own whatever. We've all felt that temptation and we've all known those kind of people. But then you look at a dude like 
uh, like Glenn, who's devoted his his entire adult life to to reaching out and to being vulnerable and to risking it all and just to letting Jesus use his stuff because he sees Jesus as not the kind of dude who uses people like batteries, but the kind of dude who gives more life than he asks for. Mm. And you would find a guy that has a million friends, a thousand stories, more laughter <laughs> and more just joy and giddy craziness that's come from just like, I'm just going to order a pizza and open the door and see what happens. And yeah. that's the, that's where this story comes down to is everybody's been given stuff. The question is, what kind of a dude do you think Jesus is? Do you think you can make more life for yourself by hoarding what you've been given? Or is he the kind of dude that if you give it all away, will he give you more than you've ever imagined you could have? More stories, more laughter, more fun, more friends. That's where this comes down to. It's not about money. It's about all of the stuff that you've been given. And the real question is, what kind of a dude is Jesus? That is all fantastic stuff. And Jed, where would we close this discussion out? You know, I want to pick up exactly where, where Lee left off. So a theme, obviously, in this story, but also in, in other things that Jesus said, is fruitfulness, uh, is the idea of, I'm going to give you something. I want you to make something out of it. I want you to to bear fruit. And one of the things that – one of the reasons why money makes for a a useful metaphor on that is you can talk about doubling your money. You know, I gave you I gave you ten dollars and here's back twenty dollars, right? But it's good that we recognize it's just a metaphor because there's almost nothing else where that would hold. If I give you the ability to sing, you you can't really double your singing talent. That doesn't really work that way. There's some YouTube videos um, that would differ, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, I, well, I mean, you know, I the Lord gave you the ability to be an encourager, and you doubled it. I mean, that again, that just doesn't really track. So, what is what's the deal here? Again, I think it's pretty straightforward in that God has given each of us gifts. He He wants you to make something out of it, and just like Glenn is saying, I think the real key to that is thinking creatively. Like, suppose for a second that you had the ability to cook. That was just something that it made sense to you and you were good at. Well, kind of a literal interpretation of, of you know, a parable like this might be, therefore, I have to cook the most meals for the most people, and that that is the way that I will make the most out of what I've been given. And that's one thing you could do with it, but I think you'll have way more fun, like both these brothers are saying, if you kind of open your mind and you start to get creative with it. If you start to ask, what are the different kinds of people that I could cook for? And what would it mean to these different kinds of people when I was cooking for them? And and what is it that's going on in their lives where I'm cooking for them? For some people, that may be something good is going on, and I'm cooking for them because it's a celebration. And for, for other people, maybe something terrible has happened, and this is a form of, of love and comfort and condolence that's going on. These are, are very, very different things. And so um, maybe that informs kind of how I want to to be when I'm around those people, and um, maybe maybe it suggests next things that I can look at. Here's another example is if you know how to cook, that also means at least on some level you could show other people how to cook. 
are there people that you know who would really benefit from knowing how to make a few simple meals who don't know how to do that at all? And then maybe there's different reasons why they don't know how to do that. Maybe, maybe some people just haven't been interested, but now it's time for something new. Maybe some people have been through some really hard times in their life, and it was just never something that they would have had the exposure to. All of these variables suggest really cool things you could do just with that gift of cooking and different approaches you could take and, and different impacts that these, that these approaches would have. There's like an infinite amount of cool stuff you could do just with cooking if we decided to get creative with it. If we said, I love God and I know how to cook and I'm going to try and put those two things together. Yeah, we could say, I've just got to do the most. I've got to feed the most people and I'm keeping a tally. But I think we'd lose out on a lot of fun with that. I think we'd lose out on a lot of adventure with that and and a lot of, of, of good stuff. So we want to really encourage you to embrace that sense of creativity, to, to say God has given me gifts and, and he does want me to actually bear fruit with them, actually do something with them, actually put them to use, but to really embrace the fun and the creativity of, of seeing the possibilities. What can these gifts do? What can they mean to different kinds of people? How can they extend um, the love of God and the love of Jesus to people who, who might not otherwise receive it? And here's the key thing, and, and this is super important, is if you start down that journey of using what you've been given in creative ways, you will have fun with it. You will develop a sense of adventure with it, but you will start seeing more avenues to go down than there are hours in the day. That's right. Amen. You will start seeing more possibilities than um, you could do in the next year and a half. And it actually becomes kind of an embarrassment of riches of look at all the amazing stuff that I get to do that – and I can't barely even get to all of it, and it's all so cool, and I can't wait to try the next thing. That is a big part of where, at least in my experience, the joy is meant to be found in the Christian life. And that's what we want for you. That's what God wants for you is that sense of joy in using what you've been given and serving other people. That is absolutely right. That is all beautifully put. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can head on over to facebook.com slash thebridgechicago on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time and find our bridge live cast. You can also head out there anytime and find the link to our free bridge box 2020 summer mixtape. One of the songs contained therein is by our friend DJ Andon rock featuring Galvin yeah. Patrick. The track is called desire. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The congregation laid back on the fresh hay and breathlessly said, I never want this sermon series to end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was looking for another direction Until I get lost in another frustration There's a journey I come to realize Not a single person willing able to smile then I saw
Trying to let go of everything 